series through the book of Matthew. This is message number 14, entitled Performing Righteousness. Matthew chapter number 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18, and I'm going to start with just reading the first verse here. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. So sometime in late 2017, Jimmy walked into his mom's house to give her something that he had for her. Um, She laughed and joked about him giving her a car or, or a kitchen remodel or something like that. But then he hands her a check, and he had written this check to his mom for $100,000 and gives it to her for her to pay on her mortgage. Now, she was somewhat surprised, actually, um, and she was unsure if it was real, and of course he convinced her that it was, but she didn't want to take this check from her son. And so there's this little back and forth, and she kept coming back to the fact that she just she didn't want to take it. She, she couldn't take it, didn't feel like she could take it. And so as he's trying to gently persuade his mom to take this check from him, he made a couple of interesting statements. One is that some portion of the money, and didn't say exactly how much, but some portion of this money that he was giving her had actually been given to him by one of his sponsors for this purpose. So it wasn't all of his own money, you know, that he had earned necessarily. And then secondly, he admitted that If she didn't take it, then the video would never go viral. Now, I know that there are some who know exactly what that means. There are probably some who do not know what that means. Um, Going viral is essentially modern slang for uh, a picture or a video or an article, something that is posted online somewhere on the Internet, and it gets liked and shared and seen by, you know, millions of people. Um, that's going viral. So that's, that's supposedly a good thing today, and I'm sure uh, maybe you've never heard of that. But anyway, so he says, if you, don't, if you don't take this, this video will never go viral. Now, he didn't walk into his mom's house alone. He went into his mom's house with a team, and the cameras were rolling because he was shooting a video for his YouTube channel. Now, that last revelation when he said, But if you don't take this, this video will never go viral. It got this reaction from his mom, and she said, so you're using me for views? And he admitted that, yes, he would get views, and she would get to pay off her mortgage. He did get, on that particular video, um, over 31 million views. But, of course, views isn't all that he got. Um, As I understand the monetization, the ad revenue alone for this video, over 31 million views, would have been something over $300,000. Just the ad revenue from this one video that he made of giving his mom a check for $100,000. Well, she ends up accepting the deal, and the video ends. She's hugging her son and saying, what an entrepreneur um, that he is. Well, that video is just one example of uh, a whole industry of performance philanthropy 
that has come about today. And so there's acts of outrageous generosity that are filmed in order to gain views, to gain subscribers, and, of course, to gain lots and lots of money. Now, I've seen some people beginning to question this whole enterprise um, as it seems just a bit exploitive. And Jimmy's mom said, you're using me for views. Well, the counter-argument to this is, well, yes, but the people who need it are actually being helped. So maybe a homeless person is given um, some uh, large uh, amount of things or, or whatever it is, some person's given a lot of money, just different things that you can see. Sometimes um, new houses, new cars, sometimes houses get remodeled for people and, and all of these sort of things given to them as gifts. And they say, well, yes, it, it is somewhat exploitive for entertainment and profit, but at the same time, I mean, people really need help, and, and they're getting help, so that's a good thing, right? Now, Jimmy didn't use this particular phrase, but he convinced his mom that even though he was using her for views, she got to pay off her mortgage because of it, and he gained the views he needed to gain the subscribers he wanted and, and to make way more money, so it was what some might call a win-win. Again, he didn't use that phrase, but it's what we might call a win-win. Well, how do we decide about this sort of thing? On the one hand, some thinks, well, that seems awful exploitive. Um, and then on the other hand, others say, yeah, but people that really, you know, people are really being helped in, in the end. And, and then, you know, so, so what if a profit is, is made off of it? I mean, people are really being helped. Now, who would have thought that the teaching of an itinerant Jewish rabbi on a mountain in rural Galilee 2,000 years ago would be so relevant to this very moment in 21st century culture. Now, of course, Jesus doesn't mention the Internet or cable television or anything like that, but he did address how we should live in this present age, and all of the so-called advancement that we have made doesn't make his words obsolete or out of date. Now, chapter 5 was the opening section of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus in chapter 5 focuses on some contrasts with the Old Covenant law and his New Covenant law. And, and by saying contrast, I, I'm simply meaning that he's, he's showing some comparisons. So there's differences and some similarities from his law for the New Covenant age and the Old Covenant law for the previous age. And we noted that there's a thread of relational righteousness that's running through chapter 5, and in fact, this entire Sermon on the Mount, and this is part of what Jesus described as exceeding righteousness. Now, those contrasts in chapter 5 ended with Jesus' words on non-retaliation and loving neighbors and enemies. Now, by the Old Covenant law, Israel had an army, but their army was not for the purpose of empire building. In fact, when you read in the Old Covenant law the various regulations that pertain to their military activities, you find that they were actually prohibited from this. So Israel was not to just go about and to try to take over other, other nations and, and subdue them and all, all of that sort of thing. Uh, you can think about the Assyrians and the Babylonians and even Alexander the Great and the Greeks much later. 
But the army of Israel was mostly for defense from the empire-building efforts of other nations that wanted to come in and possess their lands. However, they were commanded to exterminate the enemy nations that occupied their land that was promised to them beginning with Abraham uh, and those nations that opposed them. Now, Jesus' new covenant law does not establish a nation or a national army. Um, so again, it is, it is different um, from that. And Jesus is coming back here at, at the end of chapter 5. He's coming back again to those interpersonal relationships when he refers to enemies in particular. Enemies are people uh, in our lives who oppose and who thwart us, who curse and use and persecute us, as Jesus says there at the end of chapter 5. The Old Covenant actually referred to loving these kind of enemies. Um, in places like Exodus chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, where the law commanded that if you saw your enemy's ox or his donkey that had gone astray, had, had gotten out, had, had gone away, what did the law command? That you return it. But, that, but that's the ox of my, of my enemy. Well, I ought to, ought to just you know, let it wander in, into my barn and just keep it for myself or maybe, maybe let it fall in a ditch or over a cliff. And the lost, he, he said, no, you return it. Also, if you saw your uh, enemies or the, those that hate you, as is described there, if you saw their donkeys being overloaded and, and in need of help, well, the old covenant law said that you were to help and not to refrain from helping them. So Jesus said to bless to do good to, and to pray for such enemies. And all of this leads to our being like our Heavenly Father. And of course, living as salt and light in this present world, so that our light will shine and people will see our good works and glorify God. But that brings up another issue, doesn't it? People seeing our good works... And it actually brings us right to this next section of Jesus' teaching, beginning here in chapter number 6. So if you think back in verse 16 of chapter 5, Jesus commanded us, let your light shine so that others may see your good works, and the result being they'll glorify God. In, in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 5, Jesus commanded that we do and we teach his commandments, explaining that it was exceeding righteousness. But all those references now to being seen bring us to Jesus' warning about being seen, or more precisely, about doing righteous acts in order to be seen. And there is a distinction there. So Jesus uses in this opening section here, he uses certain repetitions to emphasize the point that he's making over and over again. So he's going to talk about giving, he's going to talk about praying, and he's going to talk about fasting. And he's not giving an exhaustive theology of, of all of these things. In fact, you're going to see one of the repetitions you will see is Jesus to say, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. In other words, there's going to be just an underlying assumption that the Word teaches us that we are to do these things and we are to be engaged in these things. And Jesus is simply saying, when you do them, don't do them this way, do them this way. So as we look at this particular passage 
Um, it does touch on these three different topics. So in verses 1 to 4, Jesus speaks about giving. And in verses 5 to 15, Jesus speaks about praying. And in verses 16 to 18, he talks about fasting. And so that's the way that we're going to look at this passage before us. We'll start with verses 1 to 4 and what Jesus had to say about giving. So we'll read verse 1 again. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. So Jesus starts with words of warning. Take heed, he says. Now, that word itself that he uses here means to beware or to pay attention to. Um, we might give a, a warning to someone today and simply say, you know, be careful for this or, or for that. Um, Jesus is saying, be, be, be careful now. So he has just given numerous um, commands where he's telling us to let our light shine, that our works can be seen. And now he, now he begins here almost as if saying, but be careful about your works being seen. Now, the word that's used for alms is, um, in the Greek is, it means pity. And as I understand it, the Greeks at that point, they did not have a particular word that meant gift to the poor or giving to the poor in particular. And so this word was used in the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. Uh, it's used in, in the New Testament. It occurs, in fact, 14 times in the New Testament. Uh, it only occurs in Matthew, in Luke, and the book of Acts. The only places that this particular word is used. And when you read those places and, and you read those contexts, the word's always used to refer to giving to the poor and needy. And it is never used in the sense of simply um, feeling emotional pity um, towards someone. But it is used to speak of the actual, either the act of giving something or the gift itself that is given um, to someone who is in need. Now, Jesus doesn't say here, don't give to the poor, don't do alms. Rather, he says, don't do it to be seen. So, in other words, Jesus is not making a complete prohibition. In fact, as we go through each of these, this is, this is going to be true. Jesus is not making a complete prohibition of, of ever doing some sort of public action that would involve giving to the poor or praying or, or even fasting. But what Jesus is emphasizing is the motive behind it. He says, don't do it in order to be seen by others. And the consequence of that motive is, he says, receiving no reward from the Father in heaven. Now, again, that's, a, that's going to be repeated um, throughout this section. And by referring to heavenly reward, Jesus is referring to future reward. He's not referring to what is gained in this present life. He's referring to future reward. In fact, the gain in this present life is actually what he's contrasting with future reward as we go on reading. And so this, again, this idea of future reward and these actions are repeated throughout this section. Look at verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. 
So another <clears throat> repetition, that, again, that we see, you notice that Jesus says, when, when you do your alms, when, when you um, give to someone in need. So again, there's an assumption here that you will do it, and so when you do it, don't do it this way. Now, the word for hypocrite that Jesus uses is a word that referred to a pretender. Uh, it was commonly used to refer to stage actors, so they were playing a, a character. Um, so it refers to a, <clears throat> to a pretender, an actor playing the part. And when you look at the use of it in the New Testament, you're going to see that it's used to refer to those who are deceived and are deceiving about their own salvation. They are pretenders to great moral and religious devotion, but they are not actual possessors of true faith in Jesus Christ. That sort of faith that James talked about, we looked at not too awful long ago, um, that results in good fruit. Well, hypocrites, Jesus says, essentially they make a show. They make a display of giving to the poor in very public places, synagogues and, and the streets. These are public places. So they make a show, they make a display, and they do it so that they can be seen. That is a motive that is behind what they're doing. They want to be seen, to be recognized, to be acknowledged for what they are doing. And, in, and by being seen and recognized, ultimately their hope is they're going to receive praise from people for their actions. And Jesus says, as a result, they have no reward in heaven. And the only reward that they're going to receive for an action with that sort of motive is whatever praise or prestige or promotion or profit that people give them. That's it. Very, very temporary, though much more instantaneous. Now look at verse 3. But when thou doest alms, let not, thy right, uh, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So here's the contrast. Jesus says, don't do it this way, but do it like this. So essentially what Jesus is, is emphasizing is don't draw attention to your giving. And of course, we, we can come up with all kinds of ways of, of doing something secretly so as it will be seen. Uh, we're, we're very good at doing things like that. Jesus' point is, is don't, don't do it with the desire to draw attention to, to yourself, to draw attention to what you've done. In other words, if you have the right motive that Jesus is talking about, then you will give, and you'll give whether anyone knows about it or not, um, whether there's any acknowledgement or not, whether there, there is any, um, any sort of immediate and temporal reward for you for doing so or not. And he's, in verse 4, as he continued, the repetition, uh, again, that, that keeps coming up is that, that God sees what's in secret. Or in other words, God sees what is not publicly known. And we might add to that the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
So not only does God see the action, even if no one else witnesses the action, yeah, God sees that action. God also sees the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God also knows what the motives are. Sometimes, and, and, and you know, our, the human heart is, is such a, a difficult and, and complex uh, mix of, of emotions and thoughts and feelings. And, and when I say heart, I'm obviously talking really, really about the mind, the inner being of the person. And, and a lot of times, we're, we're, not even, we're not even clear on our own motives, much less those of someone else. But God sees, and God sees and knows it all. Now, the reward, he says, he shall reward thee openly. But again, Jesus is talking about future reward, not merely the promise of present rewards that fade away. So another way that we could look at this is trust reliable judgment into the hands of the Father. In other words, don't, don't do your, your giving, don't, don't do it so as to be seen and acknowledged and to receive affirmation or confirmation or, or praise from other people, but trust God to judge this accurately. Give from a proper motive. Men are not competent judges of our actions. They're not competent judges of our motives. But God always is. And he always sees clearly and he always judges rightly. And that will receive a future reward again when done as Jesus is saying. Now the next part, Jesus begins talking about praying. Of course, it has more verses, verse 5 to verse 15. It's a little longer section than the others. We'll start here with verse number 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So Jesus proceeds now to speak, and again, there's a lot of repetition between each of these three topics as he touches on them. And he's going to speak very similarly about prayer that he just did to giving, and then we'll get to the part on fasting, and he's going to talk very similarly about fasting as to, as to what he did the other two. But he refers again now to these pretenders, these hypocrites, that love to make public shows of praying so that they can be applauded for their piety, and they can be p- applauded for their devotion to God. And the motive behind such public displays is, that, is for whatever it is that they in, uh, hope to gain from people as a result. So in other words, again, it's, it's more about performance and what is to be gained from that performance. Now, some may, may um, have a desire for money from that. Some may have a desire um, for, for praise. Some may simply want to be thought well of. Some may be trying to um, get into, you know, some, some sort of a, of a higher position in, in, in whatever uh, place in life that they're in. There's all kinds of, of ways that we can seek very temporary rewards for doing these things, but that's the motive behind such public displays that he's talking about. Whatever they gain, and Jesus again makes it known that whatever is gained is all that's going to be received for an action with that sort of motive. Verse number 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So similarly, Jesus says that when you pray, 
pray in secret. Now, once again, Jesus is, as we go through this section, he's not prohibiting any sort of public prayer or or fasting or even giving for that matter. And, I mean, we can clearly see as you read through the New Testament that Jesus, as well as others, prayed publicly. So it's, it's not that, that he's prohibiting any sort of public prayer. The question is, once again, what is the motive behind it? Are, are we putting on a show? Are we making a pretense? Are we making a display? Are we hoping to be noticed and to receive something from that? Now, if you pray out of obedience to Christ, if you pray out of love for God, uh, not for show and not for display, then Jesus says God will hear and God will reward accordingly. Again, that future reward. Look at verse 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. So Jesus here gives actually another warning. He gave a warning against a hypocritical prayer, a prayer that, that makes a show out of, out of a pretense to gain. But he says also, don't make the mistake of praying like the nations. And that, the word here that's translated heathen, it's uh, the ethnikos in the, in the Greek, and it is nations. It's the word that's equivalent to goyim um, that you see in the Hebrew Old Testament, usually referring to non-Israelite nations, unbelieving um, nations, what have you. And so that, that's the word that is used here. He says, don't, don't follow those unbelieving nations um, in their practices of prayer. So the practices of the unbelieving nations would see prayer as some sort of a duty to perform. In other words, as, as long as you, know, you, you, you perform the duty, then you're covered and, and you know, you'll get what you're wanting. The other aspect of it is, is treating prayer as if it is some sort of a, a magical formula. So if, if you get just the right words that are repeated in just the right way, then you've, you've somehow unlocked the secret that God's going to give you all these things that you want when you ask for them. And so Jesus says, don't make that mistake either. Verse number 8, he says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. So Jesus says, don't pray that way. Prayer is not about leverage with God. Now, as human beings, um, we can become fairly adept at manipulation. And we know how to play on the sympathies or the guilt feelings of others and, and, and tend to manipulate them to get what we want. There is no manipulating God. Remember, Jesus keeps reminding God sees in secret. He knows what is in your heart and mind, not just words that may come out of your mouth, not just words that may be directed to him. He knows what's in our hearts and minds. And so prayer is not about gaining leverage with God. If, if I can only find the right words, repeat them in, in the right way, or repeat them enough times, I can sort of, you know, get this leverage to get what I want from God. And Jesus simply says, God knows what you need because he's all wise, but also because he's the loving heavenly father. Now, the Bible tells us we are to ask. 
The Bible tells us that plain. We are to ask, but not like the hypocrites and not like the heathens. But we are to pray to him as a loving heavenly father who knows us, who cares for us, and who shows us good. Verse number 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So Jesus then proceeds to give um, a model or an example prayer or of how to pray, what, what to pray for. Um, he begins addressing the Father. Um, hallowed, that word means to be seen, to be acknowledged as holy. Um, and this is connected with his kingdom coming to the earth in the future as we, as we see as we proceed. And we can see these themes connected together in places like Isaiah chapter 43 and verse number 25 and Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 11, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 20 to 23. And he makes this reference to his name, that his name would be hallowed. And we've seen this come up a number of times in the Old Testament and in the Psalms as we've been when studying the Psalms. God's name is what he has sworn his covenant oath by, his name. His name is the security of the covenant. This prayer looks forward to the fulfillment of his promises and therefore the hallowing of God's name on the earth. In other words, if God doesn't fulfill his promises, and in this context we can see if his kingdom doesn't come to this earth as he has has promised it to be, then God's name is not hallowed. God's name is not sanctified among the nations of the earth. His, his, his name is, is essentially, I guess to put it in a colloquial way, his name is mud because he has not kept his word. So this prayer for God's name to be hallowed is obviously a, a prayer that is, is built on that, acknowledging that, looking forward to that fulfillment. And this prayer continues, verse 10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So his kingdom coming to the earth. And now in this present age, the kingdom is not here. And so we are to pray for it to come in the future. And the kingdom coming and the kingdom being here means that God's name will be hallowed. and also means God's will is being done throughout the earth. So this prayer starts out in such a way as to orient us toward the greater purpose of God and his creation. So prayer then, we can also conclude from this, prayer is not simply giving God a wish list of everything that we want or everything that bothers and annoys us. Now, God has told us to cast our cares upon him. Absolutely, he has told us that. He has told us to pray to him um, for those things that we need. Absolutely, he's told us to pray for those things that we need. But is that all? that our prayer is made up of. And if, if that's all that our prayer is made up of, then it seems like we're, we're more absorbed with ourselves and our situations than we are with what God has actually purposed for this creation that he has made. So Jesus reorients us here. Before he begins asking about daily bread and, and such, he reorients us toward his, God's kingdom, God's name. His purposes in, in this creation that he has made. So we're, again, we're not like a, a child making out a birthday list for all the things that he, that he wants from his parents, but rather we're praying to, to God who is a, a heavenly father. He's also the creator 
Uh, he's also the ruler of this universe. And then we get verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now, it seems um, to be sort of put for a, a somewhat general request, the supply of our, of our needs. And really when you see this, it's a confession of dependence upon God. So as, as we work, as we do the things that we are commanded to do and, and we seek to, um, even as, as was told to, to Adam, you're going to you know, eat your bread daily by the sweat of your brow. But even as we, as we do that, this sort of a prayer is, is a confession of dependence on, on God, that every, everything comes from him, even, even if it's the strength to be able to get up and to do what we need to do in order to be able to eat that day. It comes from God. And so it is, a, it is a confession of dependence upon him. In verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, debts um, here refers to sins, and we can see that in the way that it's used in, in other places as well. But the use of the word provides a, a certain connotation. It provides us with a, with a certain way of, of thinking about this, that this is something that's owed and it hasn't been paid. Forgive us of our debts, something that we have owed that we have not paid. So when we think about it that way, we see that Jesus is once again emphasizing these relational aspects toward God and toward others. Forgive us our debts means that we've fallen short in giving God everything that is due to him. We have not honored him fully and properly as he deserves and as he is worthy of. So again, when we think about sins as debt, something owed that we have not fully paid, and we're asking for forgiveness for that, and just as we fall short of what is due to God? And I mean, would there really be any among us who, who thinks, I have no debt to God. There's nothing that, that God is owed that I've not paid him fully. Is there any among us that would even have that sort of a thought? Well, just as we fall short and we are indebted relationally to God because we've not given him everything that is his due, others, other people, fall short in what is due to us given the relation that we have to them. Now, this way of looking at our sins and our faults, failures, however you want to talk about it, comes up again later. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 35. It comes up later in the epistles in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Notice verse 13 now. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is a request to be delivered from trial, delivered from the evil one. As I understand the grammatical construction, it is personal there, the evil one. Obviously a reference to the devil, the one who tempted Jesus, praying to be delivered from temptations and the devil in that sense. And the ending of this uh, prayer here reminds us of David's prayer when the offering for the temple had been collected. And this is what David prayed, First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 to 13. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty 
For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. It it'd be, it's, uh, would certainly be um, edifying and beneficial to go back and, and read the rest of, of this prayer as well as David then goes on and says, Who are we that you have blessed us in such a way that we are able to give for you in the way that we have. David collected this offering for the temple, and it was, it was rich, and it was abundant, and it was vast, um, I think probably beyond what he could imagine. And he is giving thanks to God for that in that prayer. Now, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So verses 14 and 15 explain this forgiveness that was prayed for. And Jesus says quite simply that those who don't forgive others won't be forgiven themselves. So this is how serious and how important that relational righteousness is. This is how serious that reconciliation and peacemaking are, which have all been talked about in this Sermon on the Mount so far. And, of course, think about, well, what's the, what's the alternative to that? Well, what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is being bitter, keeping lists of wrongs that have been suffered, nourishing grudges in your heart toward others. And if some of these things that Jesus has said raise questions in your mind of, well, how is, how is this possible to do? Well, I just encourage you to keep studying Matthew with us because they'll, they'll come up again, and we'll see more on this later. But we're going to get to the last part, verses 16 to 18, and what Jesus says about fasting. Verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So the next act that he talks about is fasting. And again, hypocrites, pretenders, make a show of fasting so that they can be seen, so that they can be recognized. And once again, the only reward that they will receive is whatever it is they're able to get from people for their performance. Whatever, whatever it is that they're able to get, praise, admiration, whatever it is, that's all that they will receive. Verse 17, but thou... When thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face. So Jesus assumes here again that there will be times when we fast. There is no, there is no binding regulation um, in, in the law of Christ that you know, specifies we have to fast uh, on certain days at certain times and in certain that you know, we don't have that command. But there is the assumption there that there will be times when we fast. And fasting here... The word that's used, it, it refers to abstaining from food and, and or drink um, for a certain time in order to devote that time to prayer or some other uh, type of religious exercise that way. And fasting is something that reflects the heart of one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness more than food and drink. Remember, Jesus said that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness are blessed and, and, and will be blessed. Now, that's not to say that food and drink are evil. They're not evil, and they're not sinful. In fact, 
the Bible tells us very plainly, they are good gifts from God. They are, they are given to us. They, they are things that are, are necessary for life on one hand, but on the other, they're also enjoyable. And God has given them to us to enjoy them and to thank him for them. Of course, one of the problems is that unbelievers eat and drink as though the food and drink are an end in themselves without thinking of God or without thinking God who provided it. Well, fasting is simply a way of setting that aside temporarily that God in his righteousness um, or in other words, to set that aside temporarily so that, that we might say that God in his righteousness is the greatest gift in all of the universe and our greatest delight above temporary physical pleasures. Verse 18, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So once again, Jesus is saying not to make a show of such acts. He didn't say to try to deceive others. Um, He didn't say to be a pretender, but rather he's saying, here, conduct yourself normally. You're not not trying to draw attention um, to yourself. Conduct yourself normally. And again, he ends with that assurance. The Father sees, the Father knows, and he will reward accordingly in the future. So what do we think about Jimmy and his gift to his mom. Now, on the one hand, it's hard to imagine a way to be more opposite of what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, don't do it to be seen by people. Do it in, do it in secret and, and know that the Father sees and the Father will, re, will reward. Well, filming a charitable act to go viral and to be seen by millions of people seems to go very far beyond even what Jesus said about blowing a trumpet before giving alms. And of course, Jews on a mountain in Galilee 2,000 years ago could never have even imagined such a thing as as all of that. But on the other hand, the same argument that people make today could be made then. Maybe a trumpet was blown and maybe a public display was made of giving But isn't the end result that poor and needy people really did receive gifts, really did receive things that they needed and things that helped them and things that was a a blessing to them? Well, likewise, performance philanthropy, whether it's on YouTube or cable channels or wherever that it might be, we could say that, well, a lot of these things today have helped a great number of people who really needed help, so what's so bad about that? Well, the problem is that whatever good is done, and, I don't, and I, there's no way to deny when, when someone has been helped, so whatever good is done, though, you need to understand that it's capitalism, it's entrepreneurship, it's entertainment, but it's not righteousness. It's not the righteousness that Jesus said is required if we are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So as a business and as entertainment, it's fine enough. I, I'm certainly not um, condemning and, and suggesting, oh, don't, don't watch that, that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, it's a whole lot better than a lot of other things that, that are on and, and could be watched. 
Sometimes it certainly can feel a little more exploitive than maybe at, at other times. My point is, is that as, as business and, and um, all of that sort of thing, it's all fine enough. But we have to understand that that is not letting your light shine or being salt in the earth. It is being seen of men and it is being rewarded of men. So remember that Jesus spoke about the motives behind our actions views and followers and subscribers and sponsors and profit margins that doesn't determine what righteousness is jesus has said god will see and he will reward in other words he is the judge of righteousness but again jesus began in this sermon on the mount saying let your light shine so that others may see And in in letting our light shine so that others may see our good works, Jesus also adds here in Matthew chapter 6, but be very careful that you're not doing those actions to be seen of men. Because if you are, then that's all the reward that there is. And if you're not, well, you may be seen of men. You may, these things may become known, what have you. But But if our motive is right, then the Father will see and the Father will reward us in the future.